0: Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week, we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or well virtually anything about Charlotte, because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market So they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind. And hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. During the intro for each episode, I mentioned that each week we'll have a guest with various experiences in different facets of real estate. However, for this week, I'm going to be flying solo for the real estate portion. So buckle in. This week, it's just Jeremy talking about something that I believe in pretty strongly, that there's only four factors that determine the sale of a home. In my years of working as a full-time realtor, I have sat at countless kitchen and dining room tables with clients going through our listing presentation. While our listing presentation does have information about our team, awards that we've won, and our marketing approach, The function of that listing presentation is really to educate our clients to the value of their home in a snapshot of today's data. We'll review comparable properties and make comparisons from one property to another. The goal of successfully pricing a home is to align the property within a range of value that attracts an audience and also yields the type of offers that the seller would find acceptable. All that being said, In my years of experience, I've come to believe and understand that there's only four factors that influence the sale of a home, and this week we, or I guess I, will be breaking down this topic. My goal for this conversation with myself is to hopefully educate our audience or maybe shine some light on some really interesting factors when it comes to real estate and ultimately that there's only four factors that influence whether a house is going to sell the four factors that influence a sale of a home are location price marketing and staging in my opinion that's it every other factor that would come into consideration either falls within one of these categories or doesn't move the needle enough to have any impact on the sale of property. So let's get started with location. This is the physical location of a property. You might have a 10th of an acre or 10 acres. There could be power lines behind your home, or there might be a lake with a dock. Location corresponds with school assignments, tax locations, and desirability. Location is not something, I guess, unless you have a mobile home that can be changed. The house is where the house is, even if it's a condo. The location's on the seventh floor, not on the 40th floor. It's facing another building. It's not overlooking a park. It's an incorrectable condition of the house as of right now. Recently, I was working with out-of-town buyers who went under contract on a 19th century home that was built just after the Civil War. The home had been updated and modernized and was genuinely one of the coolest properties I've ever seen. That being said, it was in Chester, South Carolina. It was an interesting situation to be in because if this house was in Charlotte like a Myers Park neighborhood, there would have been a two in front of the price instead of the six-figure price it had on it. We're talking about a $2 million price difference simply because of location. The concept of location can also be extrapolated even further. When you sell your house, you're actually selling it twice, once to a buyer and then the second time to an appraiser, unless your buyer is paying in cash. An appraiser's not going to look outside of the neighborhood that the subject property is located in if there's enough data within that neighborhood in order to complete their analysis. This is a situation that we often run into with properties that don't conform with other properties within a neighborhood. Just this past week, a teammate and I were on a listing appointment in a neighborhood where the largest homes are really in that 3,000 square foot range. However, the property that we were looking at was nearly 5,500 square feet. It was not only the only one of these floor plans in the entire community, it was also the biggest home in the entire neighborhood by a huge margin. This required that we looked at additional data. In these situations, we can look for similar sized homes outside of the community. However, as we analyzed the information, we knew that an appraiser is likely only to use data from within that neighborhood. We had to calculate a price per square foot that took into account the uniqueness of the property. However, with this house being literally a thousand square feet larger than the next largest home in the entire neighborhood, the location of the home ultimately did not conform with everything else in that community. They can't move their house to another neighborhood with similar styled homes, so we had to generate our suggested listing price off of where the home is located presently. This is why when you're looking at properties, one of the most important factors is location. It's cliche that the first rule of real estate is location, location, location. This is why this comes up. Regardless of how much money that you spend on that property, it's not going to be moved and therefore it needs to conform within the confines of that neighborhood. I guess one more quick story on location. During our First Time February series, Brittany and I spoke and she described her first house in Charlotte, which was on a major road. I don't think she's going to mind me saying this because she mentioned it previously. The house was on Tybola Road. It's a great example of how location impacts price. If that home had been even one house deeper into the neighborhood versus being on Tybola, the selling price would have been at least 10% higher. We relate it back to that discount that you receive when you buy a house because of the location, That is the exact same discount that's ultimately going to be paid forward when you sell that house. So moving on, let's talk about price. I think what I'm going to say next might come off as news to some people, or it might be the most obvious statement in the entire world. Sellers do not set the price for their home. Agents do not set the price for their client's home. Pure and simple, the market and the current market conditions dictate the price of a home. Home sales are a simple economics lesson in supply and demand. If there is a shortage of supply, as we saw in the two years following the pandemic, prices rise. Or in the case of our Charlotte market, prices rise really, really fast. If we look back at the recession, it wasn't uncommon for homes to be on the market for six or more months. There was an abundance of supply, and that's why you saw prices continue to come down. Regardless of what any agent sitting at a kitchen table tells you, they are not setting the price. I've met with multiple sellers over the years, and they'll tell me that, you know, they want to get a certain amount of price for their property. I'm brutally honest, and we'll often chime in. Sometimes we'll list it at their price. Other times, we might list it higher. If we need to list it lower, we have that conversation. Ultimately, I know that the seller has an expectation, and if the seller's expectation for their desired selling price is something that we can't meet or that the market won't bear, then it's probably not the right property for me to list. I think that there's a lot of other agents who will go ahead and take any listing that they can get, and then ultimately that property sits on the market for an extended period of time because they're afraid to have that conversation with people. So moving on, let's talk about marketing. Marketing, when it comes to the sale of a home, is the agent that you hire. There's tons of threads, like Zillow Gone Wild, that show the crazy houses and the way that people market these homes. I'm always shocked when I see people list their homes with nothing but iPhone photos and then put those online. Marketing is the agent that you hire. There's a lot of strategies about marketing a home from the type of promotion you do, the way that you drive eyes to the listing and traffic in the door. Also, marketing to people once they're in the door to help secure an acceptable contract. The marketing component is what an agent is there for. There's a reason that homes listed with an agent sell for more money statistically than a for sale by owner. That agent is driving traffic to the property. I know with my team, we try to present every property in the best possible light. We remove hurdles that could lower the audience and sales price. We invest in high-quality photos that are level, drone work, video tours, sponsored campaigns. We host open house. We advertise the property continuously until it's under contract. I would say that the single most important question that a prospective seller could ever ask an agent when interviewing them is, what is your plan to market my house? If their response is, we take pretty pictures and we post them online in MLS, then you should probably consider interviewing more agents. I was recently looking at properties for a client and came across something that I thought could be a really good fit. The photos, though, were all iPhone pictures, not shot with a wide, eye, wide angle lens. It took nearly a half a dozen pictures just to see the entire kitchen. This wasn't a discount broker or someone who was cutting their service fee. This was just someone who was shortchanging their seller from a quality marketing standpoint. I find it really hard to believe that the seller could be happy with the way that their property was being promoted. Maybe people don't know better, or they believe that the market's so incredibly hot that they don't need to, you know, be concerned with what's being put out there. In my opinion, bad marketing means less showings, fewer offers, and a reduced opportunity to pick the ultimate contract that's going to meet the seller's names. If we expand on this subject even further, let's say... (laughs) It isn't even the most important or expensive purchase in your life. Like, let's use an example of going out to lunch. Obviously, location's important. You don't want to travel too far for your lunch. Price will be a factor because you're not going to negotiate with the restaurant for your lunch special. What gets you in the door? Typically, it's going to be the marketing, the reputation, the desire to have something from there. Did you find it because of advertising? Maybe they have a big sign out front of the restaurant, or you saw an ad on TV or on the internet. At the same time, are you less likely to go to a place that you've never heard of and can't find any information about? When you pull up their menu and you're making your lunch decision, are you seeing dark photos where the food is really unappealing, or is it presented in a way where you want to go try that? In my opinion, it's the exact same thing with a house. This brings us to the last factor, and that's staging. In my opinion, this is the only thing that a seller has complete control over. How is their house presented? On a team like mine, we offer a complimentary staging consultation and have a variety of staging solutions. But for the sake of this conversation, we're going to talk about the way that a house is presented. What color are the walls? How clean is the house? Does the furniture make the room look really small? Is everything really worn and feels dated? Or is the house bright and open? Is it appealing to the largest possible audience? A professional designer once said to me that you have 30 seconds from the time a buyer steps out of their car to make an emotional connection with them. I've really held on to this belief over the years. What's the curb appeal? Immediately, when you pull up to a house, do do you imagine yourself living there? Or is it just another house that you're going to go look at? That's the emotional connection. I think that staging goes just beyond the furniture selections and configurations. It also includes the updates to the house, the landscaping, how turnkey the house is to meet the needs of a buyer. It can include things like pools and remodeled kitchens, but it also includes whether or not you just have too much stuff on your walls, whether there's deferred maintenance items that have been ignored. Again, in my opinion, The staging component is the emotional connection that a buyer feels when they're in a house. Are you creating an environment that someone wants to be in and can imagine themselves living in that house? Are they looking at the space or are they looking at your stuff? And by them looking at your stuff, is it turning them off to the potential of them wanting to live in this space? I don't want to go off on another Jeremy tangent, but if you've ever walked into a restoration hardware, they sell this enormous sectional sofa. It's 48 inches deep, and it's just enormous. In my opinion, it's also the most beautiful piece of furniture I've ever seen. When I first saw this piece of furniture in my early 20s, I said, someday I will own this sofa. And for my 30th, for 35th birthday, wow, that's a hard number to get out for some reason, my wife bought it for me. I'm not really into design or furniture, but I love this couch. It's super deep. It just makes you feel like you're floating when you're sitting on it. Like I said, it is the only piece of furniture I've ever owned that I have an emotional connection with. When we were selling our last home, I knew that even though I loved the sofa, it was so big and cool. Like Remember, it's four feet deep that it made our really large great room look super small. I knew from my experience that any buyer would look at my stuff versus looking at the space. So I decided to hire a professional stager to bring furniture into my home to present it in the best possible light. Did I hate having to store the only piece of furniture that I ever loved? Yes, absolutely. But was it the right decision to maximize my my potential return on investment in my home? 100% i said it a minute ago but i think it's important to note this about staging from either a furniture or possession aspect you want buyers to look at the space not your stuff there's a reason why statistically staged homes sell for more money you're presenting a vision of what the house could be this is the exact reason why builders stage a hundred percent of their models you see nice possessions, and imagine that you know your enormous sofa will work in that same space. Again, staging, as far as a factor in selling your home, does go beyond just your stuff. It's about the space. A fresh coat of paint, cleaning your toilets, decluttering spaces... All of this is equally important, and as I said, it's the one factor out of the four that influence the sale of a home that a seller has complete control over. I guess you could also say that about who they hire to market their property, but staging is really where they're in complete control. Once again, going back to the example of my home, because I'm probably less likely to get sued by using my own home as an example. When I decided to hire a stager, I increased my listing price by 2%. I did this kind of as a proof of concept over whether a staged home will sell for more money. Obviously, a super small sample size, but it was really successful. We often talk about staging and getting your home ready for market by walking through it as if you are a buyer. I want to have Brittany back to talk about the methodology that she uses when staging a home because she's really the best I've ever seen at it. Hopefully this explains this topic, but before we wrap up, here's another brief story. Our team recently had a vacant property that was getting a lot of traffic but no offers. We ultimately decided to stage the entertaining areas as well as the primary bedroom to show off the space. We had the home photographed again, and we began a new marketing campaign behind that house. There were some quirks to the space that buyers had a hard time imagining how to utilize. Two days after our new marketing campaign began, we hosted another open house, put the home under contract with multiple offers. Staging is really about presenting a home in the best possible light to demonstrate what's possible. Because I'm flying solo this week, I'm sure my audience is very, very done of hearing me talk about these topics. In conclusion, selling your home, whether it's your primary residence or an investment property, is an emotional decision. I'm constantly having conversations with clients about the process of listing their home and helping them to achieve the goals that they've set. I firmly believe that by partnering with the right agent who's honest and offers experience that relates to success... That they'll educate you to these four factors and enable you to reach the goals that you have set for the sale of your home. Hopefully this was beneficial and that, you know, I wasn't just going off on a rant and that this was an interesting spin from the guests that we've had in the past. But I do have a guest for our entertainment section this week, so you don't have to fly solo with me anymore. Thank you so much to our audience for joining us once again. Stay tuned for our entertainment portion. For this week's entertainment topic, I'm joined by my friend Matt Martin, head of culinary operations at Freshlist Charlotte. Our audience might remember Matt from our previous conversations about his other company, Title Belt Pro. However, this week we're going to be focusing on Freshlist. Matt has been a staple in the Charlotte food and entertainment space for years. Everyone who comes into contact with Matt comments on his warmth, humor, and passion for whatever he's involved in. I'm honored to welcome back to the podcast... Mr. Matt Martin.
1: What's going on, everybody? How is everybody today?
0: You do realize no one can respond to you, right?
1: Yeah, I know, but I like them being a part of the conversation. You know, I'm really trying to bring them in.
0: Awesome. Well, the last time you were here discussing Title Belt Pro, and the reception from our audience was fantastic. So, I thank you for coming back for a return appearance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Any uh bit of time that we can have together is a gift, as, uh, you know, I'm sure the the audience already knows that we've known each other for quite some time, so... This is a a nice little uh, get-together. I'm excited.
0: Well, I promise this week I'll do my best not to pepper you with questions about food or why I'm such a train wreck in the kitchen.
1: I don't believe any of that.
0: Well, see what I did there with that quality dad joke, peppering you with questions?
1: Yeah, good seasoning, Jeremy.
0: Oof, good rebuttal.
1: (laughs) I am a dad now.
0: (laughs) You are, which means that you fit perfectly into the entire dad joke community. So, let's start with Fresh List. Can you tell our audience what Freshlist is and what type of services they offer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Freshlist is an organization that's rooted here in Charlotte, and the main goal is to help small to mid-sized local farms. So what we do is try to be sort of that turnkey operation that makes it easier for people to source local food. So when I say people, that's a reference to both restaurants and to home consumers, So we service all of our area, a lot of our area restaurants, making it easier for them to get local food. So instead of, maybe five or six or seven or 10 different farmers coming through the back of a restaurant. Uh, The fresh list delivery is going to come through that restaurant and it's going to be bringing those five to 10 different farms all in one fell swoop. So there's an efficiency factor there for the restaurant and it makes it better for the farmer because they don't have to pay a driver or they don't have to be in a vehicle themselves making those deliveries. So we're really just trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get their hands on the the great local produce that we have here in North and South Carolina.
0: So essentially, you're coordinating between farmers and food growers and the buying public, whether it's restaurants or individuals.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've got farmers, artisans, makers. So, you know, we, we've got a whole... Um, Pretty vast array of products that we're going to offer between produce, uh, meats, dairies, uh, other things like grain, flour, pantry staples. There's a, there's a really large selection of what we're capable of getting here in North Carolina. It's it's really incredible the the depth of product that we have.
0: So I think a good portion of our audience may not be familiar with farming. I mean, I was a farmer when I had those peach trees in my backyard, but you know, as far as real farming goes and local farming, so Matt. Do we have farmers here in our local area?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. So one of the big things that we like to bring awareness to is the fact that farming is a very um, vast term. So we've got people who are being providers of Fresh List that only have a one and a half to two acre um, size farm. You know, that's going to be like their backyard operation. And then we've got people who have you know, very um, large, you know, uh, bigger operations, people like Barbie Farms and people like Bush and Vine in South Carolina, who are going to be, you know, really producing. And, and then we've got some um, people who are in the middle there, like Boy and Girl Farms, who have a really large, you know, 10 acre, 12 acre size operation. And for people, you know, it's kind of hard to understand what that means if you really haven 't been out there and seen that, um, but you know that's that 's the size of a farm where they 're growing you know hundreds of pounds of food per week and um, these these people are all you know the majority of our people are picking those products by hand and um, we definitely have a lot of farmers here in in north carolina and in south carolina and and all of that is going to vary by size and it's really it's incredible to see how much food can come off of you know two acres or or a larger farm you know
0: and what type of food are our local farmers growing yeah
1: so our Our grow period in our growing seasons, really, we have a plethora. We we have almost everything that you can imagine. I mean, we're pulling citrus, Um, at certain points of the year from South Carolina. um, We are growing an insane amount of greens and sweet potatoes and potatoes in the winter. Uh, We have a couple of different people who are doing indoor operations. So we'll have lettuces year round. We'll have um, mushrooms year round. And honestly, I mean, all of your root vegetables, your tubers, you know, your beets, your turnips, all of those things, radishes. We've got people who are doing indoor microgreens. Uh, I mean, we really have the full spectrum. I mean, there's everything here in North Carolina that you would need to have a full menu at an establishment, at a restaurant. I mean, it's really incredible what we can grow.
0: So why, in your opinion, is support of the local farmer important? I mean, I have a Harris Teeter literally one minute from my front door.
1: So I think... For me, the aspect of supporting local that is the most significant is the relational aspect of knowing the person who you're getting your food from. So, you know, sure, you might check out with the same person at Harris Teeter every week and you've got your rapport, But that rapport only goes so deep when you purchase from a farmer, when you get to know a farmer, when you get to know their family, when you get to know the fact that they're working as hard as they are and you're showing up to support that work, and then you go home and you have a product that you've purchased from a farmer or from Freshlist that was literally picked 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, there's just this different sort of feeling that's kind of... um, the word ephemeral it's just different you know it's it's really hard to explain these intangibles that go into that sort of interaction but it just makes you feel better being able to see the person who actually picked the product who actually grew the food uh have that conversation with them or have that conversation with you know somebody here at fresh list and, and get excited about what we have going on in north carolina it just hits different
0: so i think convenience is always mixed with wanting to support local business Like, that's the reason why we have fast food and we have farm-to-table restaurants. What can you tell me about cost comparing a Fresh List supply with, say, a farmer's market or a local grocery store?
1: Yeah, so honestly, we match up really well with both of those two categories. Um, The difference, you know, it's challenging to get into. But when a product is picked and sold through us, say, at Fresh List, we are helping the farmer. And obviously, I mean, like, it is is—it is a business, so there are certain ways in which things work. But if a farmer only has to make one stop to Freshlist, drop off their product there, and then Freshlist is going to handle those. I mean, we're, we're in, you know, we're delivering to 80 different restaurants a week in Charlotte. So if a farmer were to have to do that themselves, not that they would go to all 80, but even if they had 20 of those restaurants to hit, they're going to be in a vehicle for four to five, six hours, and handling uptown traffic and parking and all of that, which is something that obviously we do for them. So our, we're, we're, we're doing a service to the farmer as well. So obviously we get product um, at a different price point and then we're able of selling it at what they might be selling it at a farmer's market or what you might see that product at Harris Teeter. I mean, that's kind of how the magic, you know, behind the scenes obviously works.
0: And what about the quality of ingredients?
1: So the quality of our ingredients, honestly, is top tier. I mean, there's no other way of explaining it. I mean, for our order cycle, if you were an end consumer, uh, we do deliveries in and surrounding Charlotte area on Friday and Saturday. All of those products predominantly are going to be picked on Tuesday. They're going to be delivered to our warehouse on Wednesday. On Thursday, we do our restaurant deliveries, and that takes a whole entire day and a huge production. And then on Friday and Saturday, depending on what part of the neighborhood that you're in, in Charlotte, we're going to do our deliveries. So you're talking about product that has been out of the ground for, you know, 72 hours instead of potentially, you know, product that has been grown in California and picked under ripe and then shipped across America to come here to North Carolina. So the quality is just so substantially different it's so much fresher um and you can really just tell when you get it at home like wow that 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 was ripe that was that was fresh that was the way that it was supposed to be that's how i'm supposed to be eating this
0: that's amazing you and i recently texted because i came into possession of some massive lion's mane mushrooms and i was convinced that these were the biggest mushrooms anybody had ever seen you were let's say less than impressed by it talk with me about mushrooms and fresh list.
1: Yeah, so we have an amazing mushroom provider. Uh, his name is Hiram. His company is Urban Gourmet Farms. You might be familiar with him. He's been around the Charlotte area for quite some time. He has an indoor grow operation in Waxhaw. And I mean, he's really insane in the amount of mushroom production that he has going on. We're buying hundreds of pounds of His varieties from him a week and distributing them throughout all of Charlotte. Uh, He's got lion's mane mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, oyster mushrooms, um, trumpet mushrooms. And he just started growing uh, yellow oyster mushrooms, which I've been out on um, paternity leave. So I haven't gotten my hands on yet, but they look incredible. Our mushroom production is, is definitely class here in Charlotte.
0: So mushrooms specifically seem to be having this massive food renaissance as health benefits and meat replacement is really high on everyone's list. What, in your opinion, is sparking this resurgence of the mushroom?
1: I think that the average consumer at home is becoming a bit more educated in what they're able to do from a culinary perspective. And I think that that's why we're seeing things like mushrooms being really highlighted. Not only are establishments like restaurants basing full dishes around them now, so people are getting more excited about it. So they're going out, they're having this mushroom dish, they're thinking to themselves how did that chef do that? I want to recreate that at home. Then those products are now available. So people are getting them and trying them. And then, you know, that's just creating that excitement and that buzz around it. So I really think that that's what's happening. So
0: back to Freshlist, you have a pretty interesting title as the Director of Culinary Operations. We've discussed what Freshlist does, but what exactly do you do there as the Director of Culinary Operations?
1: So with my background in culinary, it obviously made sense for me to be the person to speak with chefs. You know, there's kind of that language that we all have and that, uh, that crassness that we can speak with. So in Freshlist, what I do is I handle a lot of that chef communication. I handle a lot of the delivery logistics to the establishment and to the restaurant, really making sure that the restaurant is being taken care of. On top of that, I also do a lot of recipe production videos for the company, which you can find on our Instagram, Freshlist CLT. We're going to be doing a lot more of those going into, you know, being in this current year. We're going to be doing a lot more of those and also different events and various culinary things around town. There's a couple of different dinners that we've done with Free Range Brewing. There's a couple of things that we've got planned for 2023, where you can still have my food specifically and see, you know, the way that I highlight local cuisine. But yeah, I just do a lot. Uh, Our company is so small. We all do so many different things that that head of culinary operations is like vague enough uh, that it can give me a title that sounds really cool, but also all encompassing of the many different things that I do.
0: So you're wearing many hats with the organization.
1: Yeah, you would say I have an extensive hat collection. And
0: what made you qualified for this position there?
1: For me, my qualification honestly spans back to when I was a kid. So a lot of people might have heard this story before, but my grandmother had a restaurant in New York, small town New York, not city New York where they had a diner and they did, you know, handmade ice creams and things like that. So my love for culinary starts at a very young age. I would take my summer break and I would go to see grandmother, which, you know, going to see grandma was going to work at grandma's restaurant, going to wash dishes at grandma's, inevitably starting to wait tables and sell ice cream and things like that. So from a very young age, I was involved in culinary. Uh, You know, fast forward from running a breakfast place, uh, being a pizza delivery driver, running a pizza establishment with some of my friends. Um, I've really done it all. I worked at private country clubs. I worked at standalone chef-owned restaurants and then went to culinary school. Inevitably come down here and uh, become the executive chef of a restaurant in town called Fern after about a year and a half of working there. Do five years there, all in total. Um, And then, you know, inevitably leave that position, and start my work at Fresh List. So there's a lot that goes into my culinary background, but that's a quick summary of it.
0: Obviously, your chef experience has created some great connections in the Charlotte restaurant scene. As your friend, I've deeply benefited from this over the years by having some truly amazing meals with you. I don't want to get too off-topic from FreshList, but for our audience, how would you rate Charlotte's restaurant scene?
1: Yeah, there's only one way to explain Charlotte's restaurant scene right now and it is on fire. If you are not out experiencing the different cuisines that are being offered in our city right now, you're living under a rock, so move the rock, get your friends, get your money, and go and eat.
0: When we moved here in 1990, I felt like Charlotte was home to a really, like it wasn't an elevated restaurant scene. We had a lot of chains and things like that, but that's certainly changed over the years. How in just the time that you've been here, have you seen the Charlotte restaurant scene change?
1: Yeah, so it's insane to say this, but this summer is going to be 10 years for me and my wife, Mariah, of living in Charlotte. And there's definitely been a sort of spark in the city of chef-owned establishments. And back to what we were talking about earlier, about when, if you can support a farmer and build that relationship with them, inevitably you're going to want To continue to support that person because they're going to become your friend. So these chef-owned establishments all around town have gained popularity based off of the food that they've been doing. And then you start to know who these chefs are. You know, you start to see their personalities and then you get tied to them as a person and they make great food, which honestly is probably... 98% of the reason why you and I have a friendship, Jeremy. So if you extrapolate that to the whole city, you know, people are more present in the public facing eye. People are producing food in the city like, you know, we've never seen before. And that is what I think is getting our city so much traction.
0: Well, we can obviously have an entire conversation, which I think would be fun to schedule in the future about the Charlotte restaurant scene. But, You know, you've described Freshless as essentially the link between food providers and the general public, whether that's directly to consumers or to your restaurant partners. Why is this bridge so important when it comes to a community?
1: Yeah, so the easiest way of explaining it is we want to be the thing that provides less friction for restaurants and farmers. For a farm to have to do all of these different deliveries throughout the city, it's cumbersome. For a restaurant to have to order um, off of 10 or 15 different individual lists from individual farmers is challenging and it's time-consuming. So we come in and try and be the one-stop sort of solution for all of that on both ends we are both helping the restaurant making it so that their ordering process can be concise and can be off of one list off of one delivery off of one interruption being uh, having one check being written so that that pause in production is only happening one time in your establishment and for the farm we're trying to make it so that they have a one stop where they can bring all of their produce all of the products and then go back to the farm and do the thing that they're good at, which is being on the farm.
0: So where do you see Fresh List going in the future?
1: Honestly, I think that in the future, we've got a lot of different paths that we could go down. One of the biggest things that I want to see happen and one of the things that I'll put out there now is Fresh List in other cities. So other cities in North Carolina, whether that be Asheville or Raleigh, and learning about their farming practices and what their farmers are doing and how we can help their restaurants. It's not like the solution that we're creating here in Charlotte can just be picked up and dropped into other cities and be the same solution. That solution has a lot of the same parts, but each city and each place that we go is going to be very different. So figuring out the best way that we can enter into a new uh, part of town or into a new area and, and be genuine in that area and not just come in thinking that we have all these solutions because it's we, we, we know that it's a lot more work than that. I'm not asking
0: you to give away your customer list by any means, but you mentioned that you work with numerous restaurants in the area to provide them with locally sourced produce and food products, really living that farm-to-table concept. Are there any restaurants that you can mention where people can experience the Fresh List experience?
1: Yeah, so I'll just r- raffle, I'll, uh, I'll just rifle off a few of those establishments right now, uh, just places that come to my head just today. So, Lee and Louise, three hundred East, Vana, La Belle Helene, uh, Haymaker. Um, Gosh, there, I mean, uh, Bardo, Supperland, I mean, there are so many establishments in town. I mean, our, our list is so expansive. We work with 80 to 100 different, you know, chefs just in our city, um, so it's really hard to think of that whole entire list right now, but I mean, Plant, Joy, Nourish, there's a there's a bunch of different people who are doing amazing things with the items that we're able to provide.
0: Okay, so in anticipation of you being here, I came up with some rapid-fire questions that I have on my mind that I think can only be answered by a professional chef like yourself. Are you willing to take the gamble and go do some rapid-fire chef questions?
1: Let's roll this dice.
0: All right. How many knives do you need? Three. What are they?
1: You need a chef's knife, you need a bread knife, and you need a paring knife.
0: What is the most important ingredient for you to have in your kitchen? Salt. Why?
1: Because things need to be seasoned properly for you to really understand the depth of the flavor that it has.
0: How often do you go into a pantry and come up with a meal just out of the junk that's sitting there?
1: When I was younger, uh, Top Chef was kind of first getting its, uh, you know, coming coming about. So my friends would open the refrigerator and they'd pick out four ingredients and they'd make me cook something with it. So I'm, I'm pretty good at that.
0: If you were to describe Fresh List in three words, what would those be?
1: helping intentional community
0: who is your favorite wrestler dax harwood i don't know who that is where would you find charlotte's best
1: pizza that doesn't exist Shot, your- shots fired <laughs> <laughs> go back to that question oh, I'm sorry. Okay.
0: <clears throat> where would you find charlotte's best
1: pizza You would have to be best friends with Adam Duke and you would have to have a pizza prepared by him out of his little uh, rocket box pizza oven. Uh, And and qualifier, I'm vegan. So vegan pizza in town, we do have options, but I'm not going to say that any of them are the best.
0: Adam makes really
1: great pizza.
0: What is your favorite movie? Wreck-It Ralph. Favorite TV show?
1: AEW Dynamite.
0: What is your favorite band? Knocked Loose. What is the best concert you've ever been to with me?
1: Jeremy took me to my first Iron Maiden concert, everybody, uh, earlier in 2022. And uh, good golly, what a night.
0: Best meal you've ever
1: had? This is a loaded question And I want to preface that the best meal is encompassed by a lot of different things. Not only the food, the service, the vibe, um, you know, the ambiance of the whole entire evening, but also the people in which you're sharing that meal with. And for me, the best meal in town that I ever had was from Chef Vince Giancarlo at Zeppelin, RIP. Uh, My best friend, it was his first time coming uh, down, my my best college friend, it was his first time coming into Charlotte. And uh, they styled us out. I mean, they made some of the most incredible food, things that I remember to this day. Our server was incredible. Uh, The drinks were great. And I'll I'll never forget that evening. But there's so much that goes into it. What is
0: your favorite thing to do in Charlotte as a tourist?
1: For me, even being heavily involved in the restaurant scene, I still like looking into other people's opinions of places and then going and trying them out and then trashing those people's opinions of places. (laughs) Which is a huge tourist thing to do. I do that in any city, honestly.
0: If your wife asked you for takeout food tonight, where would she want you to order from?
1: Uh, I would say she'd probably want me to order from Lang Vans. I knew that you were going to say that. Lang Vans is top tier. What's the
0: best dish that you can make?
1: That I can make personally?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, God. Um There's something that, uh, I really like to do, um, mushrooms in this heavy, uh, hunter sauce, uh, the sauce called chicken chasseur, uh, it's like a deep brown stock that you thicken and you season it with concasse, um, tomatoes and parsley and fresh herbs. And it's just one of those things that I've like fell in love with when I was early on in my culinary history in college. And I don't make it a lot and it has to be a pretty special occasion, um, because it's a kind of a pain and it involves a a long process Uh, but making some sort of uh, chicken chasseur, but using mushrooms as uh, a replacement for the chicken is something that I really enjoy doing.
0: That's it for our rapid fire. Back to Freshlist because of course I warned you at the top that we would certainly be going off topic. Where can our audience go to learn more about Freshlist and to start directly supporting our local farmers?
1: Yeah so the easiest place to find out all of the information that's going is going to be Freshlist CLT on Instagram. You can go to our website, www.freshlist.com, and really just keep up with us on our socials. Um, we're kind of inactive on Facebook, but Instagram, uh, I think in this current year, we're really going to crush TikTok. Uh, we've got a media kid coming in and helping us out, uh, Burke, shout out Burke, he's great. Um, and... Our website is going to be the place where you can put in your weekly orders. So our order cutoff is Tuesday at 10 a.m. And then depending on what part of Charlotte that you're in as a home consumer, you're going to get that delivery on Friday or Saturday.
0: Matt, this has been really great information, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I think the information you shared will really resonate with our audience because who doesn't want to have a greater connection with their local farmers and ensure that they're getting the best quality food, as well as supporting those organizations that are supplying that food. So thank you so much to our audience for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte podcast.